Welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamnini. On today's episode, I am joined by one of Broadway Radio's best friends and one of my favorite people in the theater community, Oliver Henry Roth. Oliver, thank you for joining us uh, to talk about a show that I know is very near and dear to your heart and something that you've been very excited about for a long time, This Beautiful Future. Thanks, Matt. So it's always great to be on. It's been a while. I'm glad to it be is. back. Yeah, so this is a show that you've been geeking out about to me for months, if not years at this point. It is currently running off-Broadway at the Cherry Lane Theater. Because I have not seen it, I've tried to purposely not spoil myself on what this is in the chance that I might see it, depending on how my schedule lines up for my upcoming trip, uh, which is just a month away at this point. Um, So I know the basic plot description. It's about two teenagers, basically, during World War II. the, The girl is French. The boy is German. Um, it's a four person show, but beyond that, I don't know a ton about it. I think there might be something to do with karaoke going on. So without spoiling anything, give me the rundown of what this beautiful future is. For sure. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, all that's right. And, and I think, I think that that's about as much as you should know going into the show. Okay, good. Um, it's, it's very funny because this show, uh, the, the way you just described it, which is the way that I would describe it, um, the show very much sounds, and I guess is a a period romance, but uh, in some ways I would say it is. But like, I think it's I think it's also neither of those things, um, and so it's hard to describe. You know, I think part part of, part of what this is, and part of what you have to experience when you go see it, is that it is the 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 framework for this piece is uh, really two two romances happening at the same time. Um, there is a present day romance that happens sort of in the karaoke, uh, uh, you know, related element of the play. Uh, and is, and that couple is, uh, Austin Pendleton and Angelina Fiordalisi. And they are sort of reminiscing about the past. And simultaneously we have, um, sort of at the forefront of the play, uh, Otto and Elodie played by Yuli Schlesinger and Francesca Carpanini. And they are, uh, they are this, yeah, World War II um, Nazi soldier and French, uh, uh, French girl who are meeting for the, well, who are meeting for, you know, the, the first time alone together uh, after having had you know, a few encounters over the summer. Um, and so they sort of steal away for one night in an abandoned house uh, as the war is, you know, raging outside and actually, you know, days before the end of the war. Uh, and they, as teenagers, are looking ahead uh, to the future that they'll have together. And so that's about as much as I think I would want you to know going in. Uh, uh, not, that, not that that means the interview's over, but like, I think in terms of the okay, plot. Okay, we're done. Thank you. I think, in, Good. <laughs> I think in terms of the plot, like that, that is sort of what you ought to know. And the way the play weaves that or, 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 but the play is, I think so much more than that. Right. It's, it's, it's about, um, it's not really about, well, uh, it depends. I've seen a lot of people who, who said that to them, the love story is like, you know, totally at the forefront for me, it's very much not um, for me. It's, it's, it's actually sort of what's bet- the, what is unwritten in this play that that's comes to the forefront. Um, and it's, ver- which is, which is, mostly about the tension between, you know, young, innocent love and war, 
uh, and the violence of Nazism and the beauty of, uh, you know, being young in love or old and in love. Um, so I think, I think that's sort of the, the, the tension that, that Rita uh, and our, our player and this production create in those polar opposites is, is more what the play is about than either of the, the, you know, than, than the war or the romance. And that's why I say, though it's a period romance, it's not a period romance. Well, and this is a show that has had quite an interesting life because I think the first time it was done was during the pandemic. It has had an off Broadway, like, I don't know if it's technically an off Broadway run or if it was like a, and off, what, however you want to describe it, but it. Yeah, I think off off Broadway is the way that is 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 the correct. Yeah, but yeah. it's got it's gotten great reviews wherever it's played. It was a New York Times critics pick, um, rave reviews from the Guardian and the stage from the London production, the Observer and Vulture, and all of these different places. So, for folks who haven't been aware of this show or maybe haven't seen it because I think there was a virtual presentation of it as well. Give us the history of how this beautiful future came to the Cherry Lane Theater where it's running now. Yeah, I'll start. Uh, so the play was written in 2016. It's a, a Rita's an Australian playwright uh, who uh, lives in London and works out of London. It was a commission from the Yard Theater in London. And it was very much written as a response to Brexit and uh, the rise of Trumpism. And you know, a lot of the play has to do with questioning your, you know, and and by your, I really mean the audiences, but the characters in, in it also face this willingness or unwillingness or ability or, un, or inability to find empathy in those who you find, you know, repulsive uh, or disgusting for some other reason. So um, again, that, that, you know, the pitting of being young and in love, and being a Nazi, right? Two things that one we can find very empathetic and one we can find completely alienating and, and repulsive. And I think that, you know, that's that's sort of what this play and its core explores. Um, and so then uh, that production was you know, was done at the yard. It became this indie hit that they uh, remounted uh, for a second time and it was sold out both those times. And then it, it, played, had, an, it had a second production at, in, in uh, London. Uh, and Jack Serio, our director... He graduated NYU in 2018. And, you know, as a creative who graduated in 2018 and then worked for a year um, as, you know, mostly an associate of Austin Pendleton's who's in our show and, and of uh, mm-hmm. David Cromer's and, and some other great directors in the city. Uh, and then, you know, 2020 came to be and he was doing nothing. So he really had sort of two years, you know, a year and a half out of college uh, working. And then as a lot of the creators in the city, he got very jittery, uh, when people started to do productions and he loved this, he'd always loved this play. He had heard about it because he had read the a review from that, from the yard production. And he loved, he knew he loved Rita's work. He had seen the film baby teeth. Uh, and loved it. And so he, he got some grant money together, uh, and worked with theater lab, which is on 34th street. Mm-hmm. Um, 34th, 35th, something like that, uh, to stage a production of this play uh, that was very small. It was on an equity showcase code, which is basically a two-week, um, you know, a, a maximum of two weeks and a certain number of performances, and the ticket price can't be above a certain amount. And uh, it's a it's a very sort of cheap production contract that equity, I should say relatively cheap production contract that equity has. Um, and that's where I saw it. And that's where Laura Collins Hughes saw, 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 saw it from the Times. 
Uh, and that's also where uh, Helen Shaw saw it at Vulture. And, you know, I, I was told from some mutual friends of Jack's that I had to go see this play. And then when Helen Shaw wrote her rave review and then Laura Collins Hughes wrote her rave review, I said, well, uh, you know, there's really something there. So I went to go see it on the last performance and I was just blown away and I was thinking about it a, a lot. Uh, I, you know, I'll fast forward to So I, I, ha- I had lunch with Jack uh, soon thereafter and I, I walked in to that lunch. And then one of the first things I said is I'm not, I'm not going to do this play, but I think you're really talented and I, and I love to <laughs> chat about what else you've got going on. And by the end of the, the lunch, I said, okay, I'm going to do the play. Um, so, uh, and the reason for that is I think the play really, uh, I think I said this before, it, it demands conversation. Like I think it's, it's, it asks, this play asks so many questions of the audience, but it has so few answers. It is almost whatever the opposite of heavy handed is, it is almost that to a fault um, in that it just unloads a ton of stuff on your lap as an audience member and says, go have fun thinking about this for hours. And, you know, I think in that, in that lunch where we talked, you know, creatively about the play, I just fell more and more in love with it as I talked about it. And I think that's, I've been working on this play for uh, almost a year now. And every time I see it, I, I feel like the conversation gets deeper and I feel like I, I understand new things and I, and I lose understanding of certain things. Uh, and it's one of those plays that like it, re- it really is demanding of the audience. And I love, I love work that asks the audience to sort of be active uh, in it. Yeah. And this is obviously a lot of that, the depth and the nuance that comes with that comes from performances. We've mentioned, you mentioned the, the four actors that are in this show, some very big names like Austin Pendleton uh, and Angelina Fiordalisi. Um, but then there's some younger actors as well. And Francesca and Uli talk to me a little bit about, what each of these four performers brings to the show and how these two couples of different age groups kind of balance each other out when you have an icon like Austin Pendleton, um, who kind of yeah. takes up a lot of space. Uh, you have to have, you know, some younger perform- performers that are able to handle their own, even if they aren't in the same timeline uh, as Austin's character. Totally. Um I will say one of the most beautiful things about this play, about this production, is we have two utter titans of uh, of the industry. You know, Austin Pendleton, who is constantly, I mean, the man. Di- he never stops working. He's been, uh, he's directed two shows since starting with this production. And he's about to go again while being in this production. First of all, I think on, on Tuesday, he has a, he has a cabaret somewhere. Uh, and and he's about to go like I, again. I think it starts before the end of this of, of this run um, that he's directing Common in uh, um, between Riverside and Crazy. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, the man is is never stops, and it's amazing. And Angelina also never stops. I mean, she she is uh, she's Tony winning producer. Tony Wayne producer, um, you know, uh, artistic uh, manager of, of Cherry Lane Alternative and and the Cherry Lane Theater for 30 years. She she's I mean, both of them are amazing. Uh, and what's amazing about this play or about this production is you got the two of them. Um, and then and 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 also they're they're understudies Kate Corrigan and Peter Von Wagner, who are, who are uh, amazing. And then you've got like everyone else who's under the age of 
40, maybe 35. Um, and it's just an amazing, amazing energy in the room. Uh, very much like the play, but so so on stage, you've got Yuli Schlesinger, who is sort of, you know, making making his stage debut and and just, just uh, honestly, has never really done anything until maybe a year ago when he did HBS Generation and um, he did Paramount Plus's uh, Jerry Marge Go Large and, and then Oh, yeah. You know, now now is doing this, um, uh, this play, uh, and you know, I, I think we'll be, I hope we'll be doing a, a lot more to, to come because he's extremely talented. And Francesca Carbonini, who's been an act, who's been, who's honestly, you know, for her age, is as seasoned as 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 Angelina and and, and Austin in some ways. Uh, but she's you know been off Broadway and been on Broadway, but but also, you know, younger. And it's it's just an amazing like uh, energy in the room. Our director Jack is you know twenty six. Our design team was all young emerging talents. Um, uh, you know, I would say none of them were you know like I said over, over forty or over thirty five maybe. And it's just been an incredible energy to to have the wisdom of these these titans in the room as the rest of us, you know, and I'm including myself in there figure it out right uh slowly slowly but surely figure it out it, it's been really great and and angelina especially and and austin but they, they talk a lot about what it means to them to be doing this play with people who they deeply look, trust and respect and who they feel they are handing the torch to in the industry well that i mean that says a lot from those two especially because uh, they are, as we said, titans of of the theater community in New York, and to have them think that highly of the people that they're working with uh, says a lot about the talent and the dedication that they bring. Yeah. Now, now I, I I'll just say real quick on on that. I I asked Austin Pendleton. We did we did these like uh, little video interviews the other day, and I one of my questions for Austin was why did you say yes to this play, and his answer was was just uh, Jack Serio, who's our director. He just said. He said, I did. I, he said, I said yes on the spot before I even read the play. And I said, I hope you thought you made the right decision. And <laughs> he said something like, absolutely not. Uh, uh, yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, this show is currently slated to run through the end of the month, October 30th at the Cherry Lane Theater. For folks who might hear this conversation and think, okay, this sounds interesting. I, I like the concept. I like the people in it. You haven't given them a ton of like other than it makes you ask questions, but what is kind of like the vibe of this show? Is this a, yeah. something that they're going to go in and like, oh, my God, the horrors of World War Two. I'm going to go in and be completely devastated by that. Or we've talked about it having some karaoke and it being young yeah. love. Is it kind of frivolous and it's like a, a frothy thing? Where does the balance come into the experience yeah. that they're going to have? Well, I'll say, you know, one of the it is a very it is much less well uh, i'm gonna get into the, the world war ii stuff in a, in a, in a bit because it's, it's not really uh, i mean there's there's certainly uh a lot having to do with the with the nazism of of, of Otto. uh but and so in that way it's there are horrors of world war ii but i think you know in general uh, you walk in and it's this the the set is a wash of pink carpet um and and there's pink lighting everywhere, and not, I think not World War II vibes from that. No, not World War II vibe. And it's and it's and it's like a jewel box set. You walk into the Cherry Lane, and there's like a it's like a jewel box room on stage, covered in pink carpet, and with a with a mattress on the floor. And 
uh, not World War II vibes at all. And this, uh, you know, again, uh, relates to the fact that this play is all about the the, the tension and co- and contrast. And so, uh, Chris Darbassi and um, uh, Stacy Derosier, uh, who are our sound and lighting designer, respectively, have done an amazing job of making sure that this play sounds and looks war torn in some ways, but. Frank Olivia, uh, Frank Oliva's set is so the opposite. It's so it is playful, and it is they they uh, you know Fra- uh, Frank and and Jack were looking at like playgrounds and jungle gyms and and things like that, and, and they wanted the set to be very innocent because that is again what this play is so much about. It's about can we can we extract these these characters from their time and just figure out who they are? And so you know there are no accents in this piece. The dialogue is written, you know, Rita wrote, wrote it as if it is people in 2016, 2022, you know, teenagers. Actually, she she spent a lot of time researching how modern day teenagers speak and did a bunch of interviews with them and before writing this play. Um, so it is, it is, like I said, it sounds like a period romance. It's very much not. And so people should definitely, definitely not expect one when they walk in, but they should expect something really modern and exciting and new the 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 physical production of this play is just gorgeous and modern and uh and again you get like you know you get an airplane flying overhead or you get uh, you, you know those those kinds of cues of what's going on outside but that is not what's going on in the room at all okay all right, I, I think we can do that. I, you know that I I like serious things, but I also like the frothy. So the fact that we can kind of get the hints of both of those things with something that actually uh, forces you to kind of do some introspection is 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 a very good thing. Well, I'm gonna f- I'll finish on uh, another this beautiful future question here in just a few minutes. But you don't know this, but yesterday I did an interview with uh, a a good friend of yours who I'm hoping that you will continue to be an artistic partner of yours here in the very near future, uh, Eden Espinoza. And, um, I did, I, I did not know that. Yeah, I did. You did not know that. <laughs> um, talk to her. She's got a concert coming up this week. By the time people hear this interview, they will have already heard that interview. But, um, you were one of the producers on Limpica, which had its mm-hmm. out of town tryout, I guess, uh, over the summer, uh, in, in California. Is there anything you can tell us about the future of that show? What's going on? We've I've, I've spoken with Matt Gould before. Um, yeah. What what's what's next? I can tell you that there's a future. Uh, I can tell you there's a beautiful future for Olympica. Uh, um, I see what you did there. And uh, and we're really excited about it. You know the the production at San Diego went so well. Um, we really learned so much about this this play uh or, or the musical um you know it was our first time we've we've worked on this show for so long but this is our first time since the pandemic which was a lot of time sitting at home and thinking about it and for our writers writing about it uh seeing it up on stage and so it was just so and and if you recall we were two weeks away from sending our cast over to um la jolla when everyone thing shut down last year uh, or not last year. Jeez, I wish it was <laughs> last know. year. I know. Uh, uh, in, you know, in 2020. So it was really, really, really special to to finally get this this show up at La Jolla, and it was gorgeous and 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 wonderful. And ev- everyone, uh, everyone brought their A game to La Jolla, and we're really excited for what's next. Any 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 hints as to when we'll find out what's next? 
Uh, no. Okay. But 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 stay tuned. It won't be too long. Okay. It's, I mean, it won't be it won't won't be it won't be like tomorrow, but it won't be too long. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be like the way we had during the pandemic. So right. that's good. Okay. All right. So let's wrap up the conversation with one last thing about this beautiful future. This is a show that obviously, as you talked about, you were not intending to bring uh, back to the stage after you saw and after you met with Jack for lunch. And you said that conversation about the show and kind of talking about it led to you not only wanting to bring the show back, but also learning more about the show beyond the actual specifics about the plot and the characters itself. What is something that you have learned in a big picture um, about the messages of this show that you've taken with you from having seen it now dozens and dozens of times and yeah. having worked on it for over a year that you think will be something that you carry with you moving forward that comes directly from seeing this beautiful future on stage? Yeah, I'll say two things. One one, one quick thing, which is like a, not a great answer to this question, but I think it engages. I, I think this play, this is sort of advice for a theater, for someone going into it. I guess I learned by seeing it. It's like, you know, some some plays require you to play ball a little bit. I think this is one of them. And I think there are structural aspects of this play really relating to the relationship between these two, you know, pairs of lovers that there's some, you know, some, some theater just requires you to roll with it. And I think sometimes I'm very good at that. Sometimes I'm bad at it, you know, not so good at it. I think one of the things is like, is, is about letting art do its thing and, and knowing that like, just because something doesn't make total sense, doesn't mean it doesn't it isn't truly affecting affecting and i think that's something that i learned so i think that's that's less about like something i carry with me personally and something i carry with me professionally which is that sure um sometimes you know great you know as you're making great great work uh it's not about putting all the pieces together i think a lot about this like i mean talking about lampika right it's like it's a sweeping history piece and it's this it's this bio musical and like and like everything needs to make sense or or it's horrible is like the way i sort of approach things like that and i think that that's that's something that i'm learning is not the case that things can be emotionally true without being totally you know log- logically true um so that was a that's a very technical thing but the i think the main thing is um you know uh, like i said that you know otto is a nazi and i am jewish and, and i don't know i don't know that that's that important of a detail to, to, to speak to, to what I'm about to say, but I, I think it, it was to me, which is just that this play asks the audience to what extent are you willing to emotionally invest in people who you despise? And I, I know I said that earlier, but I think no, that that's what, great. What the, the, the reason I bring this up in the answer to this question is that I learned that I am actually very willing to emotionally invest. And I think that's why I love this play so much. I am so invested in this, in this, in this young boy, even though I find him so despicable. And even though he says things about wanting to wipe, you know, wanting to make the the world clean, which I know means that wanting to kill people like me and my family and, and wipe them out of existence. And I think, I think I've been thinking a lot about this in the, you know, in the, in the context of, you know, the midterms that we're going through, because I think, Uh, and I think that's what Rita wanted because again, she wrote this in response to Trump and Brexit. But, uh, I think about this meme a lot when I, when I watch this play, it's the meme that is the, the, the rainbow flag. Uh, and it says something like, if you 
love me, then don't vote for someone who wants to take away my rights or want or hates me or whatever it is. Right. And, and it's something that people post, you know, uh, I think to try to keep their aunts and uncles, you know, they like, it's something that I see a lot in yeah. New York that is posted because they want to keep their Florida Matt or, hey, whoa, or, or Midwest whoa, wait a second. or Midwestern family, you know, from, from doing things that would harm them. And I, and I think, and the reason why I think about this a lot in the context of this play is because I think that I want to think that that's a true, that's, that's a truism, right? That that idea that if you love me, then you shouldn't be doing, be voting for someone who wants to hurt me. I want to believe that's true, but I have to reckon with the fact that actually, because I have found a deep personal connection with this character that I also despise, I know that it's not true, right? I know that actually things can exist, that mutually exclusive things can exist in unison. And, and, and you know, it's, it's a hard lesson to learn that actually I can now understand why someone who might love me might also be inclined to vote for someone who isn't gay, um, you know, like uh, isn't uh, supportive of, 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 you know, the gay rights movement, um, which is really troubling. But if I, But if I can't understand that, then how can I possibly reconcile with the fact that I, a Jew, am feeling compassionate and sorry and and hopeful for this Nazi boy, right? Like those two things to me exist in the same world. And so I think that that is really the answer to this question, which is that, uh, and, and, and by the way, I've talked to a lot of people who generally aren't, aren't, very uh, as fond of the play as I am. And the reason they aren't as fond of the play as I am is that they had the opposite reaction. Right. And I think that that's that, that range is very interesting, right? Some people, as soon as they realize what they're watching in this play, as soon as they realize that Otto is a Nazi, and as soon as he starts saying some of the racist and, uh, and horrible things that he says, they have no access to him as a, as a human. And I think that's a, that's not a wrong response, right? It's a, that is a human response, but I think what's amazing is to then talk about how each of us exists on that on that spectrum, right? From from yeah. being deeply sorry and hopeful for this this boy to be to feeling like he could do you know there's nothing that he could do to to, to interest you on that stage. That is a deeply interesting conversation for me, uh, and so I've learned where I exist on that spectrum, and I. And both, I'm simultaneously proud and horrified of where I exist on that spectrum. <laughs> and I think, you know, and I think that's that's the thing I carry with me. That's a great answer. Like I, I that kind of all fascinates me, and it's something that I, living in Florida, as you so rightly pointed out, uh, is something that I have thought about a lot and talked with my family about a lot about who I want to associate with and who I don't want to associate with, whether they are friend or, you know, colleague or family member. So that's, that's really, really compelling. And, and I love that answer. The last thing I want to ask about this show is about two sets of couples. Mm -hmm. um, however, there is a third couple in this show. I, I, as I'm looking through kind of the credits for this show, I notice a familiar name as the production council. Uh, yeah. of this show. Uh, uh, so explain who this third couple yeah. is. Yeah, my husband uh, is uh, an, an, an often producing partner. David's my producing partner. So David Miller is a, an amazing, amazing theatrical attorney at Loeb and Loeb, all, all kinds of entertainment attorney. Um, but he's also my production counsel. He's also my producing partner uh, on Lumpika. And he was at my producing partner on Slave Play and on Seawall Life. And uh, he's a great attorney. 
it's it's amazing to have a production council where I can just walk, you know, since we're both working from home most of these days, I walk into his office often. And uh, so that is the third couple is me and my husband as producer and production council. I love that. Very cool. Well, uh, Oliver, I hope I have the opportunity to uh, to see this show, and and maybe I'll have to rearrange some dates uh, depending on how things go. But uh, I'm very excited for this. I'm I'm ecstatic for all the success that it's having, and I really encourage folks to get down to the Cherry Lane Theater to see this before it closes. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk about it. Thanks so much. Um, real quick, before we wrap up, why don't you let people know where they can follow along with the show on social media, learn a b- little bit more, and obviously get tickets as well. Great, great point. Uh, you can uh, get tickets at thisbeautifulfuture.com, which is the name of the play. Uh, you can also Google This Beautiful Feature or the Cherry Lane Theater. And the social handles are at This Beautiful Future on Instagram, and TikTok, I think, although I don't know if we have much TikTok content on there. Uh, and Twitter is this Butte Future, because they don't allow you to use that many characters. Uh, oh. And I am at Oliver Henry Roth on all channels. Well, thank you again, Oliver. Congratulations. And uh, as we often do, I'm sure we'll text around Masked Singer and MCU-related yes, content in the very absolutely. near future. I'm, I'm about to finish She-Hulk uh, later today, so I'm sure I'll be texting okay. you. All right. And, I gotta and catch up on Masked Singer. Yeah, yeah, I gotta catch up on Masked Singer, too. Yeah. So, all right. Have a great day, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right.